Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode 35 of the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast, and thanks for listening. While we're recording this episode, during times we're finally able to gather together again, you can't see me, but I'm smiling because I've been able to see my family recently for graduations, milestone birthdays, and it's all because of science. I want to say thank you to all the researchers that worked on the vaccine and to all the pharmacists and pharmacy technicians that have worked so hard the past several months administering the vaccine and taking care of patients. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, now on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Christina Martin. Christina and I are gonna be discussing many things, including her experiences, navigating change and transitions, along with her passion for yoga. Now that's a good one. Christina Martin currently serves as section chief IVAU at the NIH Clinical Center in Bethesda, Maryland. She most recently served as Director, Office of Member Relations at the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, ASHP, and since 2017, served as a pharmacy liaison to the National Academies of Medicine, NAM, Action Collaborative on Clinician Wellbeing and Resilience. You may remember that we talked about the NAM Collaborative on Melissa Rx Scripps episode 30 with Candace Webb. Trained as a pharmacist, Christina graduated from the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy and completed a combined PGY1, PGY2 Health System Pharmacy Administration Residency at the University of Kansas Hospital. And outside of pharmacy, Christina is a certified hot yoga instructor and enjoys home brewing with her husband and their very cute dogs, Barley and Hops. Christina, thanks so much for being here with me today. Before we get into your career experiences, maybe you can talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, about your family, and your Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy and Kansas residency experiences. Absolutely. And thank you, Melissa. It is such an honor to be chatting with you this afternoon. I've been looking forward to our time together. Uh, you're just such a joy to converse with, to learn from since we first met a few years ago. And I know we'll be chatting about that a little bit later on. Um, I've been inspired by the 34 previous podcast interviewees you've had on here. Many of them are mentors. They are pioneers within our profession. They too have sort of paved ways and it, it really is just a joy to be here today. So first and foremost, thank you for the opportunity to chat. So yeah, a little bit about myself. I am originally from central Pennsylvania from Lancaster County and actually my family, uh, I have some genealogy inspired relatives who like to keep track of our ancestry. They've tracked that our family settled in that space in the early 1700s. So for history buffs, if you're familiar with the name William Penn, William Penn is who the state of Pennsylvania is sort of named after. Some of my ancestors purchased land from William Penn and then settled as farmers. And I believe that my siblings and I, we are the 10th or 11th generation of those who settled in Lancaster. So they um, are very- That busy. is so cool. I love that. It is. And then when, it, when I knew that pharmacy was the profession I was pursuing and there are no pharmacy schools in Lancaster, the closest one is in Philadelphia. Uh, and when I started to explore within the state of Pennsylvania, my relatives were like, what do you mean you're leaving? I mean, just for them, 
as farmers and handing the farmland and the space down through generations, the concept of leaving or moving or going somewhere else was just was brand new um, and something that I think is just much more part of our uh, transient culture these days, but was was something that I encountered as a teenager. So how I got into pharmacy, um, I first got connected to an individual that I call my pharmacy mom. And she was the one that introduced me to the profession of pharmacy. She nurtured my interest in the profession and instilled a lot of trust in me by hiring me as a pharmacy technician in a community or grocery store pharmacy when I was in high school. And this really nurtured my interest in the health professions, combining the science and math, but really that having translating that to patients and being able to improve health of our community. So this led to my commitment to the pre-pharmacy track at the University of Pittsburgh. While I was in my pre-pharmacy track, I got connected to another individual, and I'll call him my pharmacy dad. And my pharmacy dad recognized that I was on the pre-pharmacy track. I had been working as a technician in a community pharmacy, and there was an opportunity at the, the local community hospital where he worked. They were expanding their pharmacy intern program. They had hired on a new director of pharmacy. They were expanding their clinical services, and they were doubling their pharmacy intern size. And this was back in 2005. And so he said, I know you're not in pharmacy school, but perhaps you want to have the exposure to the hospital. That's, this was pre-health system, but the hospital experiences. And so from his influence, this is really what stimulated my interest in hospital health system, really the, the diversity that we see within that type of practice. My pharmacy dad will often refer to himself as the jack of all trades, master of none. And I think that I resonate with that because as a someone who loves to learn and a feeder of information, I sometimes see myself and emulate that same quote as, as how he describes himself. Um, so from there, I was in pharmacy school at Pitt, was interested in pharmacy administration and leadership. And at the time, they had an elective track that we could take in our third year. And that's how I got connected to health system pharmacy administration residents there at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center um, and through this class we were taking. And that was the connection that introduced me to the uh, programs that existed at the time and was my connection, really that handoff to, to Kansas and the introduction to Harold Godwin. So talking about the Kansas residency experiences, you know, I don't think anything else would have led me to Kansas thanks to this resident in my elective track introducing me to Harold Godwin and just really inspired by what the University of Kansas Hospital had been doing for decades, advancing practice, putting pharmacists on the floor and embedded in rounding teams. And when I think back on my residency years, they were a lot of fun, but they were, they were also hard. It was um, the first time that I was truly distanced from my support network. And at the time, we didn't talk about that much. You know, uh, residency programs were growing. The number of pharmacy schools and graduates was growing. And it was just that next step in the path. And I don't think that anybody really talked about how hard it is to leave that support network for an extended period of time. But when I do reflect back on residency, it is with very fond memories because of that strong KU connection that permeates across the country and across the world. The friendships that continue even after residency completion, and we're all in many different sectors. Wow, Christina, I just love that overview. And I think what you shared about you doing something different. I imagine some of those conversations when you talked about know that not like staying close to home or doing like farming that you wanted to be do something different and be different that that wasn't easy. But I think it's so helpful that you shared that because many of our listeners, I think, are feeling the tug to either 
be the first or to try something different. And then your pharmacy mom and dad, I just love that, that you saw someone and connected with someone who through their experience and engagement with you really changed your life and exposed you to things. And, you know, you and I both have known Harold Godwin for a number of years, and I just can't say enough good things about you know, the Kansas pharmacy experience and several of my good friends, Bruce Scott, I know Sarah White have gone through that program and part of that. And then the legacy of leaders and leadership in health system pharmacy and really in pharmacy in general across the country from that. So that is just really, really cool. Well, you know, you and I have been connected for several years. And one of the things that I was intrigued by that during the pandemic, many people have explored new hobbies. You know, it's like there were things that people were doing because we had time since certain things we weren't able to do. And, you know, those hobbies were like baking. People were doing a lot of things out in nature and national parks, knitting. I've been knitting for a few years. I made a lot of blankets during the pandemic. Well, you explored gardening and I remember seeing this on Instagram. And so tell me more about these raised garden beds and how'd you get into it and how does it work? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Maybe some of that, you know, my parents both growing up on farms, perhaps some of that is genetic that <laughs> was instilled in me. And we grew up joining our grandparents and my parents during the different seasons. And many of our meals were centered around what was fresh produce of the season. And so I think some of that inspired the interest in gardening. I will start with by saying my husband and I, we have very different hobbies and interests that he is. He is not a pharmacist. He is not in healthcare. We just have very diverse things that we like to do in our free time, but we're on this journey to always find joint or mutual hobbies that we can share together. So we have sort of our separate experiences, but we have the combined experiences. And that's really what gardening was. It was the evaluating or trying to find sort of a hobby we can share together, not only share in the activity, but truly like the plentiful produce that the garden will grow. We can share it through cooking together and eating together. So once we started planting roots in our community, we wanted to literally start planting vegetable roots in our backyard. And the interest in raised garden beds actually came from some friends of ours who have been gardeners for many years. And they had discovered this book. I think the book came out in the 70s or 80s. Very popular on Amazon. I think it was sold out during the pandemic. Uh, but it's about square foot gardening. And square foot gardening, the book itself is an excellent resource. And it's wonderful for people who are just getting started as gardeners, who are taking it on as a new hobby. Or if you live somewhere that you have limited real estate, maybe just a small space to garden so you can sort of maximize your output with a limited footprint. And the concept is, is that you grow different produce in a one by one square foot, or say you have maybe a larger produce that you're growing or tomatoes sort of get unwieldy in the summer, or maybe some of your root vegetables, they may take up more space, you could dedicate two square foot. Uh, so the concept is that each square foot is sort of a dedicated spot by growing produce closer together, it minimizes the weeds that grow. Now you still have to go out and pick the weeds, but by growing produce closer together, it, it's like they grow better because sometimes the traditional gardening of very linear planting, there's a lot of space for weeds and you don't get maximum crop output. So this philosophy behind square foot gardening is you're using your space, minimizing weeds and really getting an abundance of crops. And so far, this is our second year of trying this approach to gardening has worked really well. We're recording here, Melissa, in the earlier part of June, we just flipped out our vegetables. So we pulled the spring vegetables and we're starting to plant the summer vegetables like the tomatoes and the peppers and the cucumbers and the, those types of things. And it's just a lot of fun. 
we also live in an area with abundance of wildlife, which may surprise people when they think about DC, but like the DC metro area is home to just a lot of wildlife. So we had to sort of factor in how we can keep our gardening safe from threats like deer, squirrels, birds, raccoons, even fox. And when they're raised, they're up off the ground for any of those potential like wildlife threats and easier to sort of fence in. I will also note you know, like that there may be some listeners who've been in Fired over the pandemic or are looking for a new hobby, many of your nearby universities have excellent extension programs, and these offer lots of free information about growing seasons, best time to plant based on where you live. They'll offer free workshops, and we took advantage of a lot of those over the pandemic when everything was virtual. So downloading the planting calendar, attending canning, freezing, preserving workshops, you just have to kind of Google it and get connected with a local college or university in your space. That is so fun. I love too that your family, especially your grandparents, were farm to table before farm to table was really a thing, right? You know, that you had whatever was in season or local. And we all know that, boy, when you get the fresh heirloom tomatoes or the fresh tomatoes or corn, you know, right as it comes in, that makes such a difference versus when something's out of season. So I love that. And also, the way you just described it, it didn't seem that intimidating. I have to say that when I've seen people with these raised bed gardens or even just the idea of gardening at home, I've, I've been like, I don't know, could that work? But I also can, I'm smiling when you're talking about the wildlife because we here in Iowa, we have quite a bit in our neighborhood of deer and raccoons and, and occasional fox too. So yes, you do have to be careful about, they like to go for our hydrangeas. And then we, we actually put some holly bushes in which were quite common in Virginia, but not as much here because it can get so cold, but they've actually done well. And when we've had some of those really cold winters, the deer went for the berries. So I, I hear you where you're like, oh, please don't eat that. Like, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not good. Well, when I described your pharmacy leadership career, it's including helping integrating new practitioners when you were at ASHP into the real world of pharmacy practice. So share some favorite memories of ASHP's resident and new practitioner programming. And what do you see as some workplace challenges that new practitioners face? Great questions. I have so many favorite memories from my time at ASHP. And I hope that they will continue because while I have left the association space as an employee, you know, I hope to stay involved with professional organizations. And so I hope that my memories of ASHP continue. As you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Melissa, things are opening up. We're able to gather thanks to science and to the, the work of the vaccines and, and our healthcare practitioners and meetings and events are starting to plan for in-person again. And so I hope that those memories will only continue. But to share some of my favorite memories and some of the work done specifically with new practitioners, the transition from learner or from student and resident or who I consider learners to a practitioner is challenging. And something that we tried to emphasize was that each person reacts and grows a bit differently. Um, I think sometimes there may be this misconception that there's like this linear path you take, you know, you do pre-farm and pharmacy school and then postgraduate training and sort of like you're all in the same linear path, but that path looks and feels so different. And so recognizing differences, embracing differences and celebrating it and how we all experience that journey is different. And I think that that is something that I tried to remind and celebrate with our new practitioners when I was working with them. I would often tell my colleagues or my pharmacist friends that I had the best job at ASHP um, because rather than serving a niche practice area or a specialty, I served a career demographic. 
And I really learned so much from our new practitioners about their specialty residency programs or new evolving roles that they were designing as they were transitioning from residency to full-time practitioner. And really the goal was to furnish all of them with the resources that they could build confidence, that they continue to nurture this lifelong learning mindset, and to think about how they would continue to give back to the profession and to themselves. Because after working hard for six, eight, 10, 12 years, you know, you have to pause and really celebrate the successes and then maybe go back to your short-term and long-term goals and adjust appropriately. So thinking about workplace challenges that they face, I mentioned transitions, many, many transitions in a short period of time. And, you know, those transitions could be physical, like settling into a new organization. And, and we heard a lot about that with COVID and how that looked different than any other starting as a new employee in 2020. You might be moving to a new city, a new home. Maybe you're moving back in with your family. Maybe you're starting a family. There's just so many transitions that they're going through as you're joining the profession. I think navigating up is another big topic. And what that means is using your mentors, like your pharmacy mom and your pharmacy dad, um, your past preceptors from rotations and from residency as a resource. So learning to, to manage up. And then, of course, you know your supervisor, whoever you report to at your place of employment. But now as a new practitioner, you also might be navigating down for the first time. So you're the preceptor for students or interns, and you're beginning to supervise others. You yourself are trying to grow, but you're also now helping others grow. I think a big reminder when working with new practitioners is reminding them that it's a marathon and not a sprint. And oh, yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, something I had to remind myself as I started a new job this year or in a new role. And you come in with a fresh set of rosy colored glasses and your list of things you want to do is long. And my current supervisor kept reminding me, Rome is not built in a day, which is the same concept of it's a marathon and not a sprint. And so pacing is so important. We're in this for the long haul for, for our patients, for our profession, for our own selves. And so that is something, maybe not even just new practitioners, but we can continue to remind and support each other on. And favorite memories, I said, I'm hoping to build more memories, but really learning from them. I just, I learned so much from our members because they practiced in all these different spaces across the country, across the world, being able to tap into their creativity. They are very high tech. Uh, they're really great with anything that's digital. They're really good with sort of seeing purpose, purpose and role. And so just being able to encourage their creativity to allow that freedom, not even to fail, but freedom to be in the gray. In pharmacy, we're very black and white. And so I think in my role, it was encouraging them to find that gray space and to, to sit with it and to be creative with it. And then becoming really a peer and a friend to many of our new practitioners, those relationships continue to flourish even as I've left in a formal staff role. And I look forward to seeing them all again when we can convene at future in-person events. Well, Christina, I know that you will remain a connected, engaged part of the ASHP pharmacy family. And I feel pride that I first got involved with ASHP as a student at Drake. We started a health system student chapter after the person that had been in charge of student affairs at the time came out to Drake. And, and then I was like, we got to do this. And what's so funny is earlier today, I think around lunchtime, I looked at my phone and a memory popped up. And it was from the summer meeting a few years ago when I became an ASHP fellow. And so there were all these awesome pictures, as you can imagine, of me running into people like on the elevator. And once I got there and then there's a great shot with Diane Ginsburg, like right after I received the 
plaque and the recognition. So I know that you too will continue with these relationships and adventures and working on projects together. And I also think it's so important what you shared about not a linear path, because I think sometimes we beat ourselves up related to expectations that it should be, or something happens that wasn't how we thought it was going to be. But I think a common thread that I've heard in many of my podcast conversations this past year is you just never know what can come out of and if something happens in a different way and the vulnerability of people talking about that or just realizing that, as you described, it's a marathon not a sprint. So that means that you're not done in a mile. You're not done in five miles. You know, you got to just keep going. So, so many good, really cool life lessons. And I want to say thank you. And when you moved on from ASHP earlier this year, you know, I did some shout outs on social media. I really think the work and the leadership that you provided in your liaison and in your work with new practitioners was just outstanding. And I really appreciated what you all were able to do. And I thought it was just so helpful for the profession and for ASHP. So humbly and sincerely, thank you on that. And it's interesting that you and I connected. I think there were several things over the years that we've bonded over, had in common. And you know, one of those was ASHP's focus on well-being and resilience initiatives. And I will tell you that partly why I was so interested in it, and I've shared this before, is that at times, like when I was traveling and leading PTCB, I got really out of whack on that, which is not great. I wasn't necessarily taking care of myself or I was in so many different cities and on so many different planes. And so I think, you know, having this as a focus is really important. And I talk to students and I talk to practitioners about it. So tell me more about your experience serving as a pharmacy liaison with the NAMS Action Collaborative on Clinician Wellbeing and Resilience. And what is it? And tell me more about ASHP's activities in this area. Sure. And you mentioned a bit earlier. So Candice Webb uh, was one of your previous interviewees and her podcast was phenomenal. Listeners have not heard her like pause right now, go listen to it, come back. She's such an outstanding person. I'm really thankful that the National Academy of Medicine connected us. She is now my colleague within HHS. And perhaps we hope our paths will cross again if we're intentional about it. But definitely like go listen to her podcast. It has so many great just nuggets on on that topic, the work she's doing and, and her just her life and her story. Yeah, her story was amazing. Yeah. So I think she may have covered just a little bit about the collaborative, but it doesn't hurt to sort of reiterate the purpose and um, highlight some of what has come out of NAM's work. So the National Academy of Medicine or NAM, Action Collaborative on Clinician Wellbeing and Resilience formally convened in 2017, but there have been conversations on the topic for years leading up to that. ASHP joined as an inaugural sponsor and at the time the sole pharmacy sponsor uh, in June of 2017. And really when the other sponsors looked around the table and (laughs) felt that there was someone or just some profession missing and it's pharmacy. So the purpose of the Action Collaborative when it was formed and 2017, that's what, four years ago, was three-pronged. And I think these still resonate with the the foundation of why the Action Collaborative exists. One, so Melissa, like you talked about when you were traveling a lot and just maybe there wasn't an awareness to how we keep ourselves well so that we can be healthy in our work. Number one reason is really to raise the visibility of this issue, and that includes anxiety, burnout, depression, stress, suicide, but just raising visibility and awareness. The second piece is really to improve a baseline understanding, so understanding the research, like what is challenging clinicians 
to be well? What are those barriers? And then the third piece to advance evidence-based interprofessional solutions. And ultimately this improves patient care because it cares for our caregiver. And I think that's what is so cool about the collaborative. There's many quotes out there that say like, you can't take care of others until you take care of yourself, which is, which is very, very true. But a lot of us go into a healing health profession to help others. And I think what embodies this is if we can't really improve patient care, and there's evidence that shows us if we are not healthy, if we're not well, if we're burned out and at risk within our work. So it started as a four-year commitment to study, understand, identify these evidence-based solutions. I said patient care issue because really is as a healthcare practitioner and pharmacists and the pharmacy personnel included, if we're not well, we're not serving our patients. And we can't model to our patients the those behaviors that we are counseling them on. So it's this burnout, well-being, resilience, a multifactorial issue. It has many tentacles and the Action Collaborative has been trying to get its arms around this issue. And they did this early on through the creation of a conceptual model. And that conceptual model is still available on the NAM Action Collaborative webpage, if you were to just Google it, you would be able to find that model. The issue itself cannot be oversimplified. So that's where like going to take a look at it is important. But the inhibitors to well-being and resilience kind of fall into two categories, individual and external. And our research has shown that more of the factors are these external drivers, and it really requires a coordinated interprofessional systems approach to diagnose and treat those external drivers. The collaborative formed, if you remember, I talked about the third goal was advancing these evidence-based interprofessional solutions. Well, how do you get there? You form a consensus study. And that's what the NAM did. Uh, they put together a committee uh, for 15 months. They researched the issue and attempted to identify what systems level solutions exist and where the gaps still are. I encourage our listeners, you know, check out that full report. It's called Taking Action Against Clinician Burnout, a Systems Approach to Professional Wellbeing. And we also, you mentioned ASHP, there are a few webinars and podcasts that talk specifically about this report and the application to pharmacy as one of the steering committee members is also one of ASHP's members. So ASHP, as an inaugural sponsor, created their own commitment to the issue, folded it into their strategic plan and identified a number of key objectives to serving its members. Um, I would say that there, because the this issue, it looks, feels different for each person. As I said, it's got many tentacles, um, depending where you're at within your professional journey, just depending what priorities are, it's going to look and feel different. It's not a black and white issue. And so I think the resource center that ASHP has put together with members, with experts has a, a variety of whether you're in that sort of diagnosis phase or whether you're in that assessment phase or you're in that treatment phase, or then you go back to that diagnosis phase. And we saw this with the pandemic, right? Depending where your organization was in response to treating patients, you were maybe preparing, you were actively responding, or you were recovering. There may be a parallel for this, right? So there are times in your life, you're really healthy. You're like, I'm just cruising. I'm jiving. All is well. And then everything piles up personally and professionally and you're not doing well and you have to hit the pause button and diagnose and treat. And I think that's what the resource center aims to have so many different tools for ASHP members, whether they them are helping themselves or they're helping their team or they're helping their residents or their students. Two of my favorite resources, one is a state affiliate toolkit and it, the toolkit itself can be um, expanded and used for any group. 
but it walks through sort of a methodical process. Like if I'm interested in this topic and I want to bring it to my team, where do I start? And teams are at different stages of issue development and remedy. And so you could go to that and say, where are we at? And sort of start from there and move on. So I think that toolkit's pretty cool. And then just podcasts. I love learning from others, just the stories of how we folded this into our residency program or how we we encourage our entire state affiliate to rally behind this topic. We can really learn from others on this journey. So I'll wrap up this topic with saying that the cool thing, the Action Collaborative was extended through 2022. So originally a four-year commitment, now at least six years. And, you know, we knew this was possible pre-pandemic because there was so much work that had been accomplished, but yet still so much to do. And then the pandemic happened and resources were redeployed to help support pandemic-related efforts. So if you're interested in this topic, if you've been following along with ASHP, you know, continue to follow ASHP and the National Academy of Medicine as they continue to develop resources and host conversations around this topic. Well, thank you. I think you did an excellent job explaining a really complex topic, but that's so important. And, you know, I want to give a shout out to ASHP member Lynn Crisman for all his hard work on this. And there's a lot that's been done, still more to do. And I connected with Candace after attending, you know, ASHP last year was sending out you know, different CE opportunities and things that um, you all were working on during the pandemic. And there there was a webinar about caring for the pharmacy workforce during COVID-19. And I had been involved in mindfulness for several years, but, you know, last year, like many others started using Headspace, which, you know, was an ASHP member benefit. And you had someone from Headspace on, on that call, on that webinar too. And, you know, it's just interesting. I think I'm always interested in trying to learn and different things and how they could apply. So I appreciate, and we'll, we'll put some links in the show notes after to some of these. It's an important topic. And for the student pharmacists that I mentor and for the residents, it's just something that they continue to navigate. And I think this year with all the challenges and complexity that individuals had and healthcare providers had, it's just something for us to be very mindful of for sure. Well, you know, as we started 2021, it began with hope, you know, there was such excitement related to the science and that COVID vaccines were being distributed and there continues to be ongoing disruption though and change. And I mentioned this in our opening, but 2021 was also a year of transition for you and that, you know, you've recently returned to pharmacy practice with the NIH Clinical Center. So tell me a little bit about your new opportunity and just exploring your new chapter, because I know you and I have worked together, been friends and work colleagues for a few years, and how did this all come about? Yeah, so maybe I start this with, I'm still evaluating what I want to do when I grow up, and this yeah, is just the okay. next chapter. I hear you. We, yeah, we talked about transitions a bit earlier, and I myself was, was ready for a change, Things at home were stable. I'd been teaching yoga for over a year. And I'm somebody that thrives on challenge. And I was ready for the new challenge. Melissa, if you've taken the Strengths Finder assessment, I've taken it four times. And two of my strengths are consistent over time, input and maximizer. So input means I love to take in information. I love to store it. And maximizer means I'm looking for ways to extend reach. So it's working smarter rather than harder, and that sort of thing. 
So we live in the DC metro area. I love this space of the country. There's just so much history. You're really accessible to other major cities. You've got the beach and the mountains. I have no desire to move, but I was looking for professional growth. And after literally a lot of time at home during the pandemic and a lot of self-reflection, I recognized that the way to grow individually, professionally, and as a leader was to go back to practice, to go back to that challenge. I want to pause, remind you, remind our listeners, I am very much passionate about associations and their purposes. We have both been involved with ASAE, the um, American Society of Association Executives. They just celebrated their centennial last year during the, the challenging year. And they will remind us that associations make our world better, safer, and smarter. And I believe it at its very core. They do so much for society. But I felt like I had more to learn and more to contribute. I'm still on the like early to mid phase of my career. and that's what drove me to write this next chapter. The government, specifically NIH and the clinical center and the pharmacy team is very different than my past professional experiences. And it felt like this was the next chapter to write. And I imagine that there are many other chapters that will be written. I love that. And I love that, you know, you had some time for reflection and to think it through and just what a cool opportunity. And in a way, I kind of see as we're talking today and just knowing you for a while is that it all makes sense. It seems like a really cool thing and a, and a smart thing to do. And what an innovative place to be working at now, right? Do you feel it each day? I do. It's incredible. You know, with our work, we do a lot of research. We have a largest number of open and active protocols because no surprise to anyone listening, but the potential way right? we saw that what that potential was this past year, but it has done so much more and what is being worked on right now. So it is, it's a very humbling place. All of my colleagues, all of my team members, they are there because of the mission, even on really hard days, even on really stressful days, they will quote the mission. I'm here for the patients. I'm here to advance research. I'm here to be at that intersection of science and bedside medicine. And I think that's really cool. And that's what drives people to be there. And that's what's going to advance the health of, of ourselves and the people in the world. Well, I can hear it in your voice. And, you know, I just reflect back on my time in DC and you know, my time up in Bethesda, whether I was visiting ASHP or, you know, maybe traveling to the FDA or whatever, and just going by those buildings and just knowing that really cool stuff was happening, you know, and now living in a different part of the country, you know, whenever I would see the NIH on the news, I'm just have immense gratitude for the people that are there working so hard. And so I look forward to us staying in touch and, you know, hearing more about as your new chapter unfolds. And I just think it's really cool. And I appreciate that you shared kind of your thinking or what that process was like, because again, I think that helps our listeners, our community to just hear from someone else about. And my sense too, is that so many people are going through these transitions, whether they've already made a move in 2021, or as we continue to navigate what 2021 looks like in 2022, I think there's going to continue to be a lot more change, disruption, transitions, new things. Like I was, would say is we're just kind of getting started in that. I want to add one last thing. On yeah. That. So we all have tough days like that just exists anywhere you work. You right. Have a really hard day. And you question like, why am I doing this? Right. And so I had one of those really, really hard days uh, within my first 90 days. And sort of, you know, as you're as you're leaving the parking garage and you're like questioning 
what did I get myself into? Why am I doing this? And at that moment, I was listening to Kamala Harris's book. And I was at this part in the book where she was reflecting on her mother and her mother was a, a breast cancer researcher. And Kamala was a lot younger. And she was talking about how when they were in Bethesda and they would go past the NIH, she, she thought it was this crown jewel of Maryland. And here is this amazing place. And she just, you know, was glowing remarks about the NIH. And I was like, here's the universe speaking to me. I had a really yes. tough day questioning it. And then I'm listening to this book, this audio book on my drive home about our, our now vice president reflecting about how this is the greatest place that it's like the Disneyland of research. And I was like, all right, universe, I've heard you. I'm going back to work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, sometimes just that little nudge or that hearing it in a different way helps us shift in perspective, right? Then you were probably able to kind of like dust yourself off and you're like, okay, well, you know, we've talked a little bit about outside of pharmacy and you know, that you're a certified hot yoga instructor and tell me more a little bit about how you became involved with yoga and how did your practice change during the pandemic? And are you back in the studio yet? I'm not sure exactly what's going on in Maryland. Yeah, great question. I started a regular yoga practice back in October of 2012. And this was about two months into my first post-residency position. I will be transparent. I was trying to lose some residency weight. Some of yeah. us were stress eaters during training. Yes, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. But I felt like I had plateaued at the gym. And one of my colleagues, said, had mentioned there's this new hot yoga studio. There are a few blocks from the hospital and there's this Groupon special. And I don't know if you remember Groupon. I really I don't do. know if they still exist, <laughs> but I bought one because I'm still on that, you know, post-residency budget and <laughs> took my class, my first class on a Tuesday evening. It was really, really hot. Um, there were probably like 30 people in the studio. The room was preheated from an earlier class, but I was determined, you know, I'm going to use those 10 classes and those 10 classes built that new behavior, right? They say it takes 21 days to build a new behavior. There's science on it. And I built this new behavior. I've been practicing pretty regularly ever since. And since March of 2020 was the longest streak. I haven't been in the, the heated studio since I started. I'll note my introduction to hot yoga practice uh, or to yoga practice was more for the physical elements to get into better physical shape. But in the last few years, it really has evolved into a mental grounding practice. And I now I find that if I'm not intentional with keeping up with my practice and the breath work, because yoga is about keeping that calm, steady breath throughout the practice and being aware of it. Um, if I'm not intentional with it, I can definitely feel it. <laughs> so you asked about where we're at with the pandemic. We taught our last in-person class on March 15th. I think we had a dozen students in my 9 a.m. class. And at that time, we were already distancing, keeping our mats apart, encouraging students with symptoms to stay home. I try to remember what it felt like on March 15th. And there were all these unknowns. And I think at the time, we we didn't believe that the studio would be closed more than just yeah. a few weeks. The, the plan was closed for two weeks, see what happens. We're going to reopen the last week of March. But we didn't want our students to be navigating this unknown time without yoga. So we recorded our first virtual class uh, two days later on March 17th, and we quickly launched virtual classes. We first started with YouTube and then Zoom really kind of embraced. Zoom was becoming popular and it really worked well for a live fitness class. 
So the end of March comes, there is still a shutdown. The studio is closed indefinitely. And really it's a time we need yoga more than ever. So our studio in particular, and many studios, many fitness groups really tried to quickly accommodate offering both live and recorded classes. It also expanded their reach, you know, yeah. um, if someone had moved or someone wanted to try a particular teacher, I think it really did a lot for, for fitness and finding an instructor that you connect with. So I've been teaching virtual classes since that time. We've done a few in-person pop-ups when the weather is nice. Later this month in June, our plan is to reopen the studio. And every time I say that, my heart just swells thinking about practicing together. You can still feel that energy across the computer screen when you're practicing together in real time, but you just feel that sort of nonverbal spirit when you're in the same room with someone else. And so it's coming, it's coming and it's, it's been worth the wait. And, and thank you again to science that we are probably here sooner than we thought we would be. I just love that. And, you know, you and I have stayed in touch this past year and I've chatted that I've been doing bar three and like you, my last class in the studio was March 12th, I think. So just a couple of days before that. And similar was there was extra precautions in the studio with, I remember wiping down the weights and, you know, being careful about certain things, but I've been doing live stream since then and reached, I think I'm at, I reached my 250th milestone from home. And I, I think I'm about 270 classes now, but I do have in the works to do another outside pop-up. And I agree with you this, there's something to be said for the community and moving um, together. And there was a really good book that I read last year and I'm blanking on the title and she's written a couple of different books, but Kelly McGonigal, she's an expert. She has her PhD, does some stuff with Stanford, but about exercise and group exercise and the power of classes and you know why people go and why they find it so helpful so interesting but yes well you'll have to keep me posted because I can't wait to hear and I've never done hot yoga I do want to try it at some point so I've been watching you to see that it might be something that I might be interested in I totally the mind-body connection for years it was hard for me to kind of slow down in child pose and not be thinking about my to-do list or what's next but I've gotten there for sure, especially since I've embraced mindfulness more. And that's part of the best part of class. Absolutely. And congrats to you on your milestones with your bar three classes. That is not an easy workout for those who are familiar with it. So that's just awesome, Melissa. And I've had fun watching you and celebrating those milestones. And you know, we'll all be in in-person fitness at some point together. Yeah. Well, you know, our time together this afternoon is drawing to a close and you and I could keep chatting. Um, there's just so much fun stuff. But I typically ask each of my guests, you know, well, I have you. Is there one prescription or life lesson you'd like to share with others or comment on in the spirit of Melissa Rex scripts? This is a tough question. I This is my favorite question on your podcast because, you know, like vigorously writing down everyone's prescription. There's been wonderful advice shared. My one prescription or life lesson that I'd like to round out our time together is, is a reminder that sometimes the most important moment in an entire day is the rest we take between two deep breaths. Why? You know, we're very reactive. We live in this very reactive society where we're constantly connected to digital devices and this information rewires our brains so that we're impulsive and reactive. It makes our heart rise. We hold our breath our shoulders are scrunched up by our ears. You know, we are constantly connected to information. Technology isn't changing, but we can choose how we respond. And that's really cool. This last year has been hard. A lot of choices were taken away from us, but we every day had the choice to respond. 
Um, and so that's, that's a mantra I, I live by. You have a choice. You get to choose how you are responding. And the practice of yoga, it trains our mind and our body how we respond, whether we're trying to keep breathing in a very uncomfortable position or we're trying to retrain our wandering mind to come back to the mat and come back to the present moment. And it's a lot of practice. It's practice. It's practice. It's practice. Yoga practice, not yoga perfect, is what my teachers say. And uh, you have to be intentional about it. And so when you're intentional about this pause and the moment where you choose on how you respond, that really becomes the new norm. So again, sometimes the most important moment in your day is the rest taken between two deep breaths. Wow. The rest taken between two deep breaths. I love that. Well, Christina, thank you so much, you know, for sharing these insights with me. This is the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast. I also want to thank my producer, Kate Cruz with Executive Podcast Solutions, who helps make our magic happen. And thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you, everyone. Be well.